Hi everyone, my name is Josie and today I'm with Amy Zanroso, a chamber musician and a pianist who has worked within a wide range of musical genres, classical, contemporary, and musical theater. She's an active performer and teacher and she's also been my chamber coach at the San Francisco Conservatory of Music for the past two years. I am so happy to have her here on video call to talk to me about music and beyond. Thank you so much for coming. <laughs> Thanks for having me, Josie. Uh, so let's get started off uh, with your story. So when did you start uh, with music and why did you pick piano? Well, I started playing because my parents took me on a trip to Vancouver to visit some relatives. And there was a piano at the house. So my older cousin, she was, I don't know, four or five years older than me. I was about five or six at the time. She was taking piano lessons. And so they had this little upright piano and she would go over there and she'd play every once in a while. And I was super curious about it. So I went over and I was like, haha, just sitting there. And she played some stuff and then I was able to mimic her. And then she played some other stuff and I was also able to mimic her. And so she's like, okay, well, let's do this. And then she showed me how to play heart and soul. And so she taught me the bottom part. She taught me the top part. And then we started playing it. And my parents came in. Well, I think it was probably just my mom. And she's just standing there looking at me going, what is what is my daughter doing, basically? And I was just having so much fun, and I didn't really think anything of it. I mean, I was so young, right? But turns out that when we got back to my hometown, my mom had gone and talked to the local band teacher, who was also an Italian, so I think she was pretty comfortable with talking, talking to him. Um, and she said, hey, this is what happened in Vancouver. This is what my daughter did. And can you give me some advice? because what if she really likes playing the piano and I don't really know where to go from here. So he gave her the advice to check in with this German piano teacher that was in town. And so my mom took me to her. I didn't even know what I was doing there. I just remember sitting down at the piano bench and I don't even remember what I did, but the German teacher liked me. Her name was Ava Tischer and she took me as a student. And that's when I started playing the piano. And it was all thanks to my mom paying attention to what I was doing and, and thinking forward and thinking, oh, I wonder if this would be a good thing for, for my daughter. She did it. And I took some lessons and then the piano teacher, Ava, said, you know, I think, I think you should uh, invest in, a, in an actual piano because I was playing on like this little two octave organ <laughs> at home. And so my parents saved up the money and bought me uh, an upright and then it went from there. Oh, so that's a, such a sweet thing of your mom to do, to really pay attention and see that you actually had an interest in it and a talent for it. I know. I, I'll never forget that. I mean, yeah, I wouldn't be where I, where I am if it wasn't for my mom, if it wasn't for my parents in general. So I'm so thankful. I'm also thankful for my cousin who was just playing the piano and I got to sit down beside her. I don't think she even remembers that, but, you know, it's, um, I feel really fortunate. So your parents aren't musicians, right? No, neither of my parents are musicians. My mom always loved music, and she would always have opera playing in the house. I mean, typical Italian, <laughs> right? <laughs> uh, <laughs> but no, I mean, they were, they were poor farmers that, lived, that grew up in Italy and immigrated to Canada in the late 50s, early 60s. And did my, I think my dad went to school till he was about 15, and my mom till she was around 11. So no musicians in the family. And that also is, I think, is so interesting in that she, she still saw it and she still thought, okay, this could be a path for my daughter. I know that's so fortunate because music, to support a music education is so difficult. 
and it takes so much commitment that's super super cool of your parents (laughs) (laughs) i know they were special they were really special So when did you know that you wanted to pursue music as a career? Like, I know you loved it and you learned it, but to pick it as a career is a really big decision. So I always loved playing. Um, Even when I was a kid, I never had to get pushed to practice. So so that that always told me, you know, I love doing this. My parents could tell I like doing it. And what really made me decide I wanted to be a musician was when I was 15, Um, My piano teacher, who I'd had since I was six, uh, she got cancer, and she got really sick, and my parents tried to protect me from this, so I didn't really know what was going on, and I only found out that she was sick and in the hospital because she had asked for my mother to have me come to the hospital and see her because she had something to give to me, and at the time, I really didn't like Bach. I had had a few bad experiences on stage with memory slips Mm -hmm. and it really scarred me. Like it just, it was hard. So I, I had this thing like, Oh, I'm never going to play Bach. I don't like him very much. And so, so my mom says, okay, you have to go see your piano teacher and she's in the hospital. And so I went to see her and she had taken all of her piano books, all of her Bach repertoire books, and she had put them in a pile to give to me. And it was her way of saying goodbye to me. And she said, I know you don't like him now, but I think you'll like him as you go, as you go ahead in your musical career, right? And I was pretty young. I mean, 15, I didn't really see the depth of the situation at the time. I can see it now, of course. And I took the books, but I remember walking back home because the hospital is within walking distance um, and thinking about her saying how they will serve me well in the future and it just started making me think about really what did I want to do, you know, at at that age in this small town that I was growing up in, you know, did what did I want to do? And it just seemed so clear. And that that was it. <laughs> you also said that you were a pianist on staff at McGill University and you would accompany students during their auditions, which I think is super cool. How do you think that shaped you as a musician? Because you said it was like a really arduous process. Yeah, so I did my master's at McGill, and when I finished my master's, which was in solo piano, I really didn't want to be a solo pianist. I, I thought it was, it was just going to be too difficult, and I was always drawn to, to chamber music, always. So I just decided, actually, after I took a little bit of a break after my master's, I still did music, that, but that's when I, I sort of experimented with like other forms of music, like cabaret music and tango and whatnot. Um, but classical music is really what makes my heart beat. So I came back to it and I ended up playing for a bunch of cello studios at McGill. And so this was one of my main jobs when I lived in Montreal. And it's, um, it was like doing a, what I'd imagine a doctor's residency can be like. It's just, it's nonstop, hours and hours and hours a day and so much information and such a steep learning curve that it, it really prepared me for anything. I think the seven years I spent at McGill playing for studios, so playing for recitals, playing for auditions, playing for master classes, they, they're unlike anything I've done since. And it was a really intense time, and I admire any pianist that does that job because it is so demanding. And it's not only demanding on a technical musical level, it's demanding on a personal level because you are dealing with so many different personalities. 
So you might have to be playing with like three people you can't stand, or you might get to play with five people you really like, <laughs> um, but you never know. And you get thrown things at the last minute and you get on stage at the last minute with very little rehearsal and you just have to play the best you can all the time. And I mean, that's, that's the same if you're a solo pianist, you always have to like bring it every time you're on stage. Um, but I feel like sometimes as a solo pianist, you have more time to prepare. Like, you know when your concerts are going to happen. You're not going to be called up the night before and say, hey, can you do the Franck Sonata tomorrow? Where you say yes, because you're like, yeah, I played that a week ago, so I think I can still do it. You know, it's really, it's really punishing. It's really rewarding at the same time. But yeah, sometimes there's a little bit of imbalance. <laughs> yeah, especially with when you play with other people. I know when we do chamber, there's just so much of like a, I am relying on you and you're relying on me type of thing that you really don't want to let anyone down. When you're doing a solo thing, you're like, well, I mean, it would be terrible if I messed up on stage. But if I mess up, I only mess up for myself. Uh, so it's kind of like a different pressure. How did you manage to learn pieces so quickly? I just did. Um, I had no choice. <laughs> you know, I'd, would, I'd get thrown these, especially at the very beginning. I remember I had to do, like the first year I was there, they asked me to do the Rachmaninoff cello and piano sonata and that thing is a beast I I've played it a lot since and I love it but to do that in my first year when I was actually doing this professionally it was such a wall to climb and I I just you know when you're forced to do something I think you can do it I think there's a strength of character that you draw out of yourself and and you do it it's great I'm, I'm so glad I was put in those situations because it showed me things about myself that I wouldn't have otherwise learned because I wouldn't have been pushed to my limits. And the Rachmaninoff Sonata really pushed me to, the, to my limit at that, at that point in time. It still does. It's still really hard. Easier, but still hard. <laughs> it's a very thick piano It would part. stand on its own. Seriously. Like you could, you could leave the cello out and maybe just hum the line once in a while, but <laughs> it's not quite the same, but it could stand on its own a lot of it. Definitely. Yeah. Such a good piece. I hope it comes your way one day. You'll love it. I was sight reading it once with a friend and it took two people to play the left hand and the right hand. <laughs> yeah, at half tempo or something. Yep. <laughs> Besides your incredible experience at McGill, are there any other life-changing moments uh, in your musical career? Life-changing moments. Well, I think I mentioned to you yesterday that I lived in Europe. I lived in Italy from I think it was 90, 96 to 98. And I went back because my parents being Italian and me being first generation Italian, I was really curious about where they came from and where I ultimately came from. So it was always my dream to go back there and, and just learn about the culture and study music. This was after my undergraduate degree. So I went and I lived in the Veneto region for a year and a half. And when I was there, I saw so many amazing, amazing concerts. Concerts that blew my mind. Um, living in Canada, especially growing up in a small town and then going to a somewhat larger town for my undergraduate degree, I saw good concerts, but not of the caliber that, that they had even in small town Italy, because Italians love their classical music. They love their opera. Opera's at the top, and then, and then it trickles down. Everything else is it's all such a high standard. So. I went and I started experiencing these concerts and it just, it showed me what music could really do. The sound that an orchestra can actually achieve or, or the, the importance of a good conductor. 
these were things I just, I didn't learn in my undergrad. I didn't learn from where I grew up. And so there's one concert in particular I remember. I went to this small town outside of where I was staying. It was maybe like a 40-minute drive away called Rovigo, really small town. And they had this great opera house, and they'd bring in all these amazing artists. And so one night they had Pierre Boulez and the London Symphony. And I, I'd known of Pierre Boulez. Like, I'd, I'd studied him in school, whatever. Um, but And I'd listened to recordings, but hearing him live with the London Symphony, like, just, it was... It was life-changing, I have to say. like It's something I've never forgotten. I still remember where I was sitting. I remember the first notes of the Rite of Spring because that's that was the first thing on the program. And I just remember sitting there transfixed and missing my train back because I couldn't leave. There was no way I was going to leave. I would sleep in the, in the train station rather than leave that concert. And I walked out of there just on air. That must have been such an incredible experience. It was. It was. I mean, I was in my early 20s, and I, it just, I think a concert like that came to me late just because of where, where I'd gone to school and where I grew up, you know? So I, was, I felt, again, so lucky that I had, I had the chance to hear such an amazing conductor in an amazing ensemble like that. So big possibilities, like, opened up all of a sudden. I was like, oh, this could just, music is just so incredible, and... I'm lucky that it's such a big part of my life. And I want to do it. Like, this is what I want to do. Nothing's going to change my course. Nothing. You recently moved to uh, San Francisco where I'm able to get coaching from you every Saturday, which is super, super cool. But before this, you were a musician in Canada. So is there like a difference being a professional musician in Canada versus being a musician in the U.S.? Well... It's such an interesting question, honestly. And I can only speak for my own experiment experience because, I mean, I can't speak as a whole for every classical musician <laughs> that moves from Canada to the States. But I found... So I came here in 2014 because my husband got a job. And I came here with no contacts. Um, I didn't have a visa. And it was really hard at first. Like, I, I didn't know what I was going to do. I knew I wanted to keep on being a musician, obviously. Um, I just wasn't sure how to go about it. And so when I got here, I tried to stay as positive as I could. And I reached out to any contact that I had in Montreal that maybe had a contact here in the Bay Area. And through like one or two contacts, I met an incredible amount of incredible musicians that helped me. And I, I, I was astounded because in Montreal, where I was working, I mean, it's a big city, but everybody's very territorial because there's not a lot of work to go around. So if you have like my job at McGill or something like that, you hold on to that and you are territorial. And I would send jobs to other pianists, of course, if I had too much going on, but that didn't happen very often. Jobs didn't come to me. Basically, you, you sourced your own work. But here... All of a sudden, I, I kind of, I didn't even think that it was going to be different. Um, I expected it to be sort of the same thing. I'd have to build up from from nothing, which is, which is what I did. But I had so much help. Everybody, like all the pianists I met, were were really helpful in guiding me and and introducing me to people and sending me work. And all the string players started asking me to play with them and and start doing house concerts. And it happened like I swear within seven or eight months I had I had more work than I than I thought I, I ever would like even after two years and it it just showed me how the amount of people 
in a place can make such a difference, first of all. And also the culture of a place can make such a difference because I find people here in the Bay Area, because it's my main experience, um, they're so open and willing to help and extroverted and nice. <laughs> I mean, not everybody, but the majority of people. And I think that made my transition from being like working musician in Canada to working musician in the States so easy. You know, where I don't think it would be the same for a working musician in the States going to Canada. I feel like they would have to break down a lot of barriers to start getting decent work if they didn't have the contacts already. But coming there with no contacts, really difficult. So I feel lucky that I went from that direction, <laughs> not back. Yeah, I think San Francisco has such a vibrant music community. Uh, with the conservatory and even like branching out of the conservatory there's just so there's a lot of chamber concerts all over the city and all over the bay area which creates because chamber is you just you have to work with other people so it creates connections and creates this sort of community where everyone wants to play with each other yeah there's also how many orchestras in just the bay area so many there's so many orchestras which means so many good players so many string players which for me was what i was looking for because i love playing with strings i want to do piano quartets and piano trios and duos and whatnot so it was really a perfect landing pad and again i keep saying this, this is what like the third time i said i'm so fortunate <laughs> i really am well i'm so fortunate to be able to meet you I'm so flattered that you say that because I love coaching you. So <laughs> it's really fun. Very good pair then. <laughs> Moving on from performing to the situation right now where we can't. With musicians and other professional performers, among those who have been hit really hard by the effects of COVID 19, how are you doing and how has this change, this really sudden jarring change, affected you personally? Well, it's been like different layers of hell, if I'm going to be totally honest. <laughs> like the first layer was <laughs> when the shelter in place was announced, which was like March 16th, or I think it went into effect March 16th, but it happened. People were talking about it like just before that March 13th. And that weekend I lost the Schumann Concerto, which I was supposed to perform. So that got canceled. I was like, okay, that's terrible. And then all of my subsequent concerts got canceled. And yeah, so first layer of hell, <laughs> losing all that. And then the second layer was realizing that none of that was going to come back anytime soon. Because the few weeks after that happened, I was reorganizing. I was like, okay, I'm going to plan for all these concerts to be shifted to later in the summer, which is going to be fine, right, for everybody. And so talking to all the musicians and organizing, yeah, late, late July, you know, late August, it, it should work out. And now where we're at, it doesn't even look like that's going to happen. So it's like this added layer of, of unknown and loss. You know, it's been, I think it's, it's been, it feels so, so lame to just say it hasn't been easy, but you know, it, it really hasn't. It really hasn't. First you like think, okay, it's canceled. Oh, well. And then you see the trajectory of where this is going and you think, wow, this, everything is going to be canceled for everything. a long time. Yeah, I'm thinking maybe spring 2021 is when I might get on a stage again. I'm pretty sure it's not going to happen this fall. 
because all the concerts that were scheduled this fall got canceled. So unless they scurriedly reschedule everything, which I I don't know, maybe that could happen. It'd be great if it could, but then everyone's going to be scrambling to get their repertoire again, like under their fingers if they haven't been practicing. And it's just, it's kind of a nightmare for musicians. And I'm, I'm lucky because my husband didn't lose his job. But if I, if I were on my own and didn't have some sort of support, I don't know what I'd be doing. And I know a lot of musicians. It's such a difficult time. So many musicians lost so much money and, and contracts. And, you know, aside from just losing their identity, in a sense. And even when concerts come back, it's going to be a totally different sort of atmosphere. Yeah, I wonder. What's With it going to be like? social distancing and... Right. If that's how it has to start, right? With with less people in the concert halls and what have you. And I mean, smaller venues, what's going to happen with the smaller venues? And those are some of my favorite venues to play, especially chamber music, because it's intimate, right? Playing chamber music in a small hall that fits like 40 to 60 people is, I find, preferable to one of the big halls, you know, but 40 to 60 people and then like having six, six people <laughs> sitting there instead of 40, you know? Just it's not. like, so, and they can't do the cram spaces anymore. No, and who would want to, right? Everyone's going to no be would, nervous. No one would want to. No one's going to want to unless they're not worried. <laughs> so this really changes everything for performing musicians. Yeah, yeah. I think it's changed it for all my friends, all my performing friends, and and even my friends that teach. I mean, they, they were lucky. Most of them just hopped online with their teaching. So thankfully, they have that, that recourse. But the performers, I feel like we're, we're all kind of, you know, treading water in a sense. Or at least that's how I feel. <laughs> Out of everything, what do you miss most? Do you miss the concerts? Do you miss playing with people? Do you just miss seeing people? Yeah, I mean, I'm an introvert, so... You'd think I would love this situation, but I really don't. Like, I like having my out time where I'm, where I'm seeing people, exactly that, and I'm playing with people and I'm doing concerts, and then I have my at-home time where I, where I recharge and I, I get to be alone for however long I plan to be alone. But being alone for this long, since the middle of March, has been excruciating. <laughs> like, I can't, I can't believe I haven't played with my friends. Like, I haven't played the Brahms Sonata that I was supposed to be playing in June, and and I haven't got to play the Ravel trio that I was supposed to play. And, and even just not seeing those people has been really difficult. I miss them so much. I miss them and I miss playing with them. And I miss, like, I, I like playing the piano by myself, sure. But I love the discourse with, with the other players. I love the conversation that happens and even the fights. Like, I'll take the fights over, over this silence, really. <laughs> I know. I'm really similar to you. I'm also an introvert, so... In the beginning, I was like, oh, okay, I don't think I'll be super affected by this. Right. It's just maybe three, it's just maybe three weeks at home. I'll just bury myself in studying and practice and like, I'll, I'll wait this through. But then three months later, I really miss my trio. I bet. You kind of touched on this before, but like, how are, how is the musical community doing? I mean, everybody's so different, right? So I can only speak for like, the, the people I'm closest to that I've that I've been talking to this about and I feel like everybody I know has been really doing their best to stay inspired to keep working and to keep practicing and to just keep doing what they love despite this I think if this really was something that we knew was the future norm 
for say like the next 20 years, I don't know that everybody would be feeling the way we are right now where we do feel like there's there's hope for next year or, or late fall or something. You know, so I'm I'm really relieved to see that. I love seeing the projects my friends have been doing um, with like trying to record, even just recording solo pieces when they're not, they haven't really been playing solo that much. I think it's it's really inspirational. We just we just adjust, right? You have to, so you do. <laughs> yeah, you adjust and evolve. There's so exactly like, the shift in online concerts and doing collabs with your friends through recording and putting the videos together. Uh, it's just a new kind of venturing into new territory for us. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I honestly don't think it's 100% sustainable, so I'm glad when it's going to end. <laughs> I look forward it to going I look forward to it going back to normal because I think it has to in order to really feed us in the way that we need to be fed because this will do it for now. <laughs> but it's not a long-term solution. It's not. It's not sustainable, I don't think. Talking about kind of like a com- contrast and comparison, how do you normally plan out like your concert schedule and how is that going to change once you get back to or once we slowly start reopening and starting these concerts again? Will you kind of be more hesitant about taking work because you're not sure whether it'll be canceled again or would you just do it just like before? Oh, I hadn't really thought about can't like the, the worry of canceling work or having or worrying about work being canceled. You know what? I think I will just go full throttle and and um, put in as many concerts into my calendar as I can. I will be starving for it. So, <laughs> you know, and if they get canceled, I'll be devastated all over again. But at least I tried, and it probably will get me really practicing again. So, yeah, I'm not I'm I'm not going to hold back mm-hmm. because of any kind of fear. If if we're allowed to do concerts again, I will be out there. With like this quarantine and being stuck at home all the time, I know that sounds like a perfect situation for us musicians to practice, but it really isn't because staying home all the time just makes us not want to practice. So with that in mind, how do you keep yourself motivated to practice and what are you actually working on right now? Um, let's see. Okay, let's start with what I'm working on. I mean, it goes it it goes in in waves. It seems. I mean, when I when we first came off, when we first started the shelter in place, I was practicing a lot. Still, I was still doing like three to four hours a day, especially since I had the time. I was like, oh yeah, because everything is going to go back to normal. I'm just going to keep working on everything I'm working on. Um, and I started looking at the rep that I thought I'd be doing in the fall. So I started trying to like memorize this Beethoven concerto that I was supposed to be doing. And and then a month in, six weeks in, I was just like, well, this. I don't think any of it's going to happen. So then it dwindled. And I I think I took I took probably at least 5 days to a week off where I just didn't play and I didn't feel like playing. Um but since then I've been I read through all the Beethoven sonatas, which was great because I revisited tons of them that I I kind of forgotten existed. Like I used to read a lot of solo piano when I was doing my master's degree, but since I started doing chamber I, I don't really have as much time for it. So read all the Beethoven sonatas. I read all the two Schubert trios that I'd love to play. I've read all the Beethoven trios. Um, right now I'm going through the Mozart trios. I'm on number eight. And it's so interesting to see how he gets better with every single sonata. It's so incredible. I mean, it was the same with Beethoven because his light sonatas are my favorites. But So that that keeps me going. I actually get excited to sit down at the piano and be like, oh, what am I going to read today? Like, 
the Chopin ballads happened last week. You know, things that I just love, but I never have the time to play. That's so cool. You're like using your time to do stuff that normally if you, a, if you had a packed schedule, then you wouldn't. Oh, I would never be able to do that. Like reading the, I just started reading the list transcendental etudes, which I haven't looked at since my undergrad because I played one of them for my undergrad and I always loved them. And it's so much fun. I can't read some of them. Well, I can, but it's really slow and painful. But it's it's music that I've always loved and it's it has felt kind of far away for me. So I feel like this um, this exploration has really opened things up again. When you read through works, if you find one that you're like, oh, I just really, really want to work on this more, would you like pick them out and work on them a little more than just yes. reading them through? <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> Some Chopin nocturnes. I keep coming back to, uh, to the second ballad, the Chopin second ballad. I love that piece. So on the topic of practicing, we can also mm-hmm. talk about lessons. I go to an online school academically. I've been there since eighth grade. And the structure of an online school is pretty familiar by this point to some people. However, online teaching for music is sort of unheard of unless like your teacher is gone for like a month or two weeks, then you do switch to online. But to do it for months is pretty unheard of. So what are your thoughts on online teaching? What do you think falls through uh, in the online setting? And what do you think it's good for? Well, I think it's good for people who maybe don't like going out in public and just want to stay home and learn how to play the piano. <laughs> I think that would be a really good thing for them. Um, and I, like I said before, I think this is sort of a Band-Aid effect in, in order to get us through this this time that we're living in and just to get us to the other side so that things don't have to stop completely and then restart again. So I think it's great that it's an option. Like I said, my friends are doing it. And I think it's important that kids still keep having their lessons. But in terms of it being a good long-term solution, I, I would not see it that way at all. I think I think you lose so much not being in the room with somebody. Um, there's just that that dynamic, that physical and emotional dynamic and connection that you lose if you're not sitting right beside someone watching them play and or having them watch you play and and even just discussing like it's it's great to be able to discuss music in this format but it's missing something to, for me at any rate you know i just i would not want this to be forever i really don't want this to be forever either <laughs> like i'm trying to watch my teacher and she's playing stuff so i have to watch her from a camera angle and she'll shift the camera angle if I don't understand. Whereas if I was in a room with her, I would just walk around this way, right. walk on that way, and kind of look, and then be able to copy. But this time, it really takes a lot of. It takes her to do it multiple times. Yeah, it's a lot slower, right? And also, I think just the the way things translate through the screens, there, it's you just lose so much. You lose the colors, especially right the the different dynamics you can you can do and. And even just the atmosphere of being in the room with someone who's playing, you lose that entirely. Have you ever encountered lessons with not adequate internet connection? And do you have a setup that you would recommend uh, to piano students for online lessons? I know we were kind of talking about this since we figure out our setup together. I think it'll be really cool to kind of share our input. Sure. I mean, because I don't do this full time, um, I, my setup's pretty simple. I just I have a decent MacBook Air. 
um, that I just bought, and then I bought a Blue Yeti microphone. And I find that it's, it's adequate for, for what I do in terms of the five weeks I had to finish off at the conservatory and also for things like this. I mean, it's, it's perfect. It, it does the job, essentially. Um, if you're a real serious piano teacher, I think, <laughs> I think you might have to invest in, in maybe something else maybe a little bit more, but I, I'm not entirely sure just because it's not my experience. So from personal experience, one of the most important things is your connection and your mic, because uh, how you play already falls out through playing through a microphone to your teacher or to the other person listening. So with a bad mic, they really can't hear anything uh, that's useful. Oh, yeah. So um, my teacher recommended this mic which she had and because she owns a recording studio so she knows a lot about mics and she recommended this one as being overall useful for piano and podcasting and just normal vocal things if you ever know and to record but your connection also has to be it's better to have it wired than wireless but if your wireless is strong most of the times it works Another thing that we kind of started doing or we've always been doing is I send her recordings before lessons. This is kind of really cool because then when she listens to your run through, there's no lag. Exactly. Uh, whereas if you're playing, if she tells you to play this part, then you can play it and it lags. She can just tell you to play it again. If you're playing a 12 minute piece and it lags, she doesn't really want to stop you, but she can't quite hear what you're playing either. Right. So doing recordings was really helpful in making sure that she hears the most of what I was practicing. Exactly. So that really, really helped the process. Oh, I'm sure. Yeah, I know a few friends of mine are doing like video lessons where they, they have the student play play for them, like send them a video and then and then they'll just send them a video back of their comments and whatnot, just to avoid the whole back connection thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's lots of ways around it. And I mean, you do the best with what you've got. So, like I said, I'm thankful that it even exists. Because if this had happened 20 years ago, we wouldn't have this option. So We would be sitting ducks, really. I know! We'd be on our regular phones. or. <laughs> when things reopen, hopefully sooner rather than later, but how do you think chamber music will be different? Since you play so much chamber music, do you think we'll have to sit farther apart? or? Ah... Maybe, um, which isn't ideal, but at least it's doable. I would rather sit farther apart from my partners than not sit in a room with them at all. So, I mean, if that if that's one thing that has to happen, fine. And since chamber music is such an intimate, or it's geared towards intimate concerts, it's really quite unfortunate how far away we have to be apart from each other, even in the audience. Yeah, yeah, I know it's... It's all a learning process for everybody. <laughs> so I feel like um, I, I feel like just in general, once once things start happening again and musicians get to play together, we're all just going to be so joyous that it's going to have this electric energy that no one's going to care about about the disadvantages that we're facing at the time. It's just going to be so exciting to have an audience, to have people on stage, and to be playing this music that we love together. Like I feel like that's going to override all, all the things that have that have made us filled with angst over the past mm-hmm. few months. You know? I think 
returning back to normalcy after all this will kind of re-energize the music community with like a newfound passion because we've been pulled away from it. There's that saying, it's like you only know what you love when it's gone. Right. Yeah, never take things for granted. <laughs> well, thank you so much for taking the time out of this lovely Sunday to talk to me. Thanks, Josie. Thanks for having me and and listening to my uh, my pleasure. My life it was thing. <laughs> thank you so much for listening to another episode of Josie Talks. I hope you enjoyed, and please look forward to more interesting interviews and discussions in the future.